This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 739 with Kristen Hodgden. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 739. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Kristen Hodgden is the co-founder and chief creative officer at Rescripted, the number one global media platform for fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss, offering technology tools and resources for wherever you are on your family building journey. She's also a professional writer, voracious reader, fierce fertility advocate, and proud IVF mom of twins. She lives in Long Island, New York with her husband, Dan, and their two kiddos, Brooke and Charlie. When Kristen reached out about coming on the Shameless Mom Academy, it was a quick and easy yes. So if you've been around here for a while, you likely know that we have gone through a lot of things within infertility, within our own family, in terms of trying to get pregnant with Vinny, and then again in pursuing a second pregnancy. So I was really, really honored to speak with Kristen, to hear her story, and to learn about how she helps other women around this topic that is so near and dear to my heart. So listening to hear Kristen share her journey through a diagnosis of PCOS and into her infertility journey, what secondary infertility is and how common it is, what it looks like to make decisions around expanding your family when you know you can't get pregnant naturally, the hidden grief of secondary infertility, 
and what to say to friends and family who are experiencing infertility, secondary infertility, or pregnancy loss. So this is a heavier conversation, but also a really special conversation and a really, really important one because so many women are impacted by fertility, secondary infertility, pregnancy loss. And it's something that we don't have the opportunity to talk about a lot. And also it can be hard to find other stories that help you feel seen. And so my hope today is that for those of you who are impacted by these situations, issues, and circumstances that you feel seen, heard, and held today. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Kristen Hodgson to the Shameless Mom Academy. Kristen, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I think this is my first motherhood podcast that I've ever done, maybe. Oh my God. (laughs) that seems inappropriate. We should, you should be on so many motherhood podcasts. I've done so many fertility podcasts and, you know, my company kind of tends not to go into the motherhood space, but so it's, it's really cool to be here. I mean, there's a lot of overlap with, there's the, a lot of overlap well, and, it, and it depends, which we're going to get into, because if you're talking yeah. about secondary infertility versus, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's is it primary. primary yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't, yeah. Um, I've like never heard of it, but that makes sense, <laughs> primary infertility, but it's really different because people who are going through infertility, like me, when I was trying to get pregnant the first time, the last thing I wanted to do was listen to a motherhood podcast where people were like complaining about how hard motherhood was. Exactly. So. Yeah, no, it really does depend, but I do think, and that's one of the reasons I reached out to you. I, as someone who's struggling with secondary infertility myself, like, I think it's so important for moms to know that they're not alone if they're going through this. Yeah, Absolutely. So before we dig into all things fertility and infertility, I want to know just a little more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life and what you're most excited about right now. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder of Rescripted. We're a digital media platform for fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss. It actually started from a personal blog that I created about five years ago when I was going through IVF the first time around. And you know, now we reach a ton of people. We're growing. I have two co-founders now. We, you know, are in sort of growth mode and that's been super exciting. I also have four-year-old twins from IVF. So, and I think, you know, I'm sort of in the thick of it, I would say, because you're asking like what I'm most excited about. I'm definitely in the thick of like being a working mom. And so Mm -hmm. you can get very bogged down by like the day-to-day and, you know, just all the tasks on the to-do list and attempting to balance work life, which isn't always a balance, but (laughs) I would say, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I would say as someone who just came off a year long IVF journey that didn't end in a baby that I'm, I've been really excited about just, you know, living in the present, finding joy in what I do have and, you know, being me and discovering who I am again, because IVF can be so draining and all consuming. And I was a shell of myself for a little bit, admittedly, and miscarriage and all of the above. So really, I think I'm most excited about just the fog having lifted (laughs) and not really knowing what the next move is. I've always been sort of calculated with my fertility journey and and wanting to know when I was hopefully going to be pregnant or, you know, how that was going to happen and the age gap and all of the above. But 
right now, it's sort of like the unknown is what has to be in order for me to heal. Mm -hmm. And so trying to accept that (laughs) for what it is, (laughs) that's the complicated answer. I can hear the like, kind of how tenuous that is in your voice. And I relate to it so much that like, I'm just trying to embrace the unpredictability and not calculating everything. And as someone who calculated everything to be like, if this cycle works out, then I would be this far along for this date. And then the baby would come here. And then the age gap would be here. Like to get out of that, like metric driven data, constant data analysis is really tricky. And and so I, I hear you and I feel you I've been there and trying to like reframe your kind of how you exist in a different way that might not be natural to who you are. If you're like a planner and a go-getter and a high achiever, it's, it's super complicated. Yeah. Well, infertility definitely is an example of something where, you know, you're, you're taught your whole life that if you work hard, you'll succeed and you'll get what you want and, you know, in your career and school or what have you, but with infertility, you can work so hard to, and do everything your doctor tells you to do and eat all of the nutritious foods and exercise and do everything that you could possibly think of acupuncture and still not end up with a baby. And so not to obviously scare anyone, but it's kind of the ultimate life lesson in giving up control and, totally. you know, life doesn't always pan out the way that you want it to or envisioned. Right. I'm someone who likes a lot of control. So that was definitely the hard part for me. I also remember saying to a friend when we were trying to get pregnant the first time and it had been, I think we were probably coming up on two years into our journey. And I said to her, I was like, this is the only test that I've never gotten an A on. Like I'm someone who got an A on every single test and did extra credit. And so to go into this and not just not get an A, but like just get a flat out F (laughs) over (laughs) and over again was incredibly challenging. Um, Cause that's just not who I was. I was like, I could figure things out and like do all the assignments. And like you said, like check all the boxes as a high achiever and then to not be able to control an outcome was, is just such a life lesson and not a fun one. (laughs) Not a fun one at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your fertility journey and how you came to start Rescripted? Yeah, absolutely. So I have PCOS with polycystic ovarian syndrome, Uh, about one in 10 women have it. It's a hormonal condition and it's one of the leading causes of infertility, but rewind five years and I didn't know any of that. And I just wasn't getting my period after coming off of the birth control pill, went to my OBGYN, got sent straight to a fertility doctor. So here I am 27 years old. Didn't even know at the time that if I wasn't getting my period, that meant I wasn't ovulating and that meant I couldn't get pregnant. (laughs) Completely things we don't know. Yeah. Completely clueless at the time. And then there I was sitting in the fertility clinic waiting room, you know, in line to do something that I thought was reserved for, you know, 40 something year old women who couldn't get pregnant. You know, it's like we had like, there's such misconceptions, or at least it was for me about, you know, IVF and who it's for and, you know, whether or not it leads to a baby. So I always say that like hindsight was 2020 during that process, because every step of the way, I felt like I was learning something new as I was doing it, but not in a good way. Like I'd be, you know, doing IUI and 
not realizing that it's actually not, even though IUI and, and assisted reproductive technologies are a science, like it kind of takes trial and error to sometimes get to the result that even the doctor's hoping for it because everyone's body is different. And like, right. you know, everyone's partner's different and there's so many different variables. It's not like, okay, you have this disease, like here's medication to fix it. Like it's way more nuanced and complex than that. And I just feel like every step of the way I was blindsided, basically like blindsided by my diagnosis, blindsided by what it took to have a baby blindsided by the fact that there was no support out there, no resources, no community, no content that I felt like was, you know, patient centric and readable. And when you're sitting at home, Googling at 2am. Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I, as someone who worked in publishing for almost a decade and, you know, I love to write and read and have an English background. I was like, should I just start writing down my story? I just started writing down my story. So started a blog. And at that time, this was like 2017, 2018. It kind of struck a chord with people because at that time, even though it was just five years ago, not as many people were talking about infertility on the internet. Yeah. So I kind of grew on Instagram and realized there was definitely a need for this type of content. Then when I got pregnant with my twins, I threw IVF. So I did a couple of failed IUIs and then again, blindsided every step of the way because the doctors kept saying, you're so young, like IUI is going to work for you. And then it wouldn't. And then I'd be like, why isn't it working? And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) So, and then eventually I ended up pretty much begging to do IVF because I was like, what is going to get me to the result that I'm Mm -hmm. looking for? So did IVF and thankfully got good results with IVF. And my second embryo transfer resulted in my twins. But at that point, I just realized I'm only one person. If this is happening to me and, and my story is striking a chord, imagine how many other people's stories there are out there and different ones and unique ones. And so I started sharing other people's journeys on my blog and it kind of snowballed into becoming kind of the only digital publishing platform for fertility, infertility, and pregnancy loss and non-traditional paths to parenthood, like donor conception, surrogacy adoption, So you name it, we had a personal story or an article on it and, you know, it's just continued to grow, which has been amazing. And we have a free fertility support community. We offer medication management resources. We have a marketplace. Like it's kind of evolved into a one-stop shop for outside of your fertility clinic to help you manage the journey. Like if you are Googling, you know, how early can I test after an embryo transfer, which as we know, everyone Googles, you which should be is always earlier than the doctor. Like the doctors are like, you should wait like 10 days or whatever. And you're like, so that probably means three. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're like, you should never test at home. You should always oh, yeah, that too. Blood, draw. blood test. And you're like, hell no, <laughs> no. Although it's, that's a whole other conversation. Cause it ends up, it's like, you're just putting yourself through torture because if you get totally. an early negative, or an early positive, you know, I've been on both sides. (laughs) I was a false, I got four false positives, which my doctor was like, false positives are not a thing. I got them four times. Wow. Yeah. That's like the line. Maybe they talk about on the first response tests, like the. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I got like very, very faint lines and it would be like if I tested a few days earlier than you're supposed to mm-hmm. and then it'd be gone and every time my doctor was like well the first time she was like there's no such thing as a false positive like if it's positive it's positive it right. doesn't mean you're going to carry it to term but like you are actually pregnant and then it would go away after a day so she would think like okay even if it's a chemical pregnancy like it's going to stick for it like you would have that positive for a few days nope mm-hmm. just and I, the first time I was like, okay, maybe it was a faulty test. And then it happened multiple times. And she's like, I have no idea. So then when I actually got pregnant, I took tests for six weeks every day. And my, she's like, you can stop taking tests now. I'm like, no, I really can't. <laughs> Cause I couldn't totally. believe that it was, I'm like, it could just go away at any given time. I so know. Yeah, to, just to your point, like, it's so weird and you can't like your doctor's like, here's the plan. And you're like, also, I have my own plan. <laughs> like, I'm going to go home and do it my way. <laughs> Yeah. And all the things you do outside of the doctor's office, like go to acupuncture and, you know, try to eat super healthy and drink warm liquids to help like create a warm uterus. (laughs) Like it's so ridiculous. (laughs) Did you you ever eat the pineapple core? Oh, I always eat pineapple core. Okay. (laughs) I had to, so for people who, this was an acupuncturist thing. My acupuncturist, who I went to specifically for fertility, and this is when we actually got pregnant doing um, IUI, when we got pregnant with my son, Vinny, she said, she's like, this is going to sound weird, but I want you to eat the core of a pineapple on like day five. I don't remember the day, but like on a very specific day after doing an IUI, which is an interuterine insemination. And so I was like, okay, well, I have to travel that day. She's like, you need to take the phone, the core of a pineapple with you. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. So I like chopped up this whole damn pineapple and the core and like all the things and like had to go through airport security. And I was so paranoid they were going to take it away from me. So I had like this whole story all ready to go. And 
then they just let me walk through with it. They didn't care. But I was like sitting at the airport, like eating my like five pounds of pineapple, including oh the core. Gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. That is the one thing that I, I definitely do adhere to after a transfer. <laughs> it's so odd. And she was like, this is going to sound weird, but just do it. <laughs> I will listen to whatever advice you tell me to, right. to do. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so that was my first journey. And then, and so I had my twins in October of 2018. And then I went on a second journey <laughs> recently when my twins were about almost three years old um, at the height of COVID thought, you know, I have embryos. I'm going to go back and do a transfer and it worked once. It's got to work again. And I had very, you know, high hopes and ended up getting a positive pregnancy test and it ended up being a biochemical pregnancy, which means that my HCG or I was pregnant. My HCG came back at, I think 48 and then it went down immediately. So the embryo implanted, but it wasn't a viable pregnancy. So that was really tough. That was the first time I had experienced pregnancy loss. And then I immediately had, I was like, I have to take a break. I can't, which was so different for me from the last time, because the first time around, I was so adamant about just pushing through because I was like, I have to be a mom. But when you have two little ones at home, it's so much different because you have to think about them. And I had no childcare. It was COVID. I had two toddlers. Like it was, you know, so much added external pressure that I said, after that pregnancy loss, I said, I have to take six months off. I just knew in my gut that I had to. And then I picked back up early this year in January, had two back-to-back failed transfers, did endless amounts of testing, what could possibly have changed from then to now, then got pregnant again. All my numbers rose perfectly you know, HCG levels doubled and then I went to the six week ultrasound and there was no baby. Like it was a sack in the uterus, but no, I think they call it ablated ovum. So had to have a DNC. And now I'm just, like I said earlier in this state of healing and not really knowing what's going to happen next, but, you know, I feel really grateful that I built Rescripted because this stuff just fuels my fire even more. I mean, there were definitely yeah. points where it was a little triggering after my miscarriage to literally be doing this for a living. But at the same time, I would say nine times out of 10, it just, you know, makes me so much more passionate about helping others and to feel less alone because I've always been an open book, but I know there's a lot of people out there that know, don't want to share their journeys Mm -hmm. and need an online support community that is away from, you know, their friends and family. Yeah. Can you explain what secondary infertility is for people that don't know? Um, And then also how common it is. This was actually fascinating to me as I was preparing for this interview and you'd sent some things over that I only know of like the people who choose to talk about it, which seems like not that many people. And it's actually Mm -hmm. so much more common. And so I know there's going to be a lot more people than I might assume listening to this, who are impacted by secondary infertility. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So secondary infertility is when you've been trying to conceive, well, infertility in general is when you've been trying to conceive for over a year with no luck. If you're under 35, 
and six months if you're over 35. So, and that's when technically you should be seeing a fertility specialist. Secondary fertility is when you're unable to get pregnant after you've already had a successful pregnancy um, before. So I think it hits people, it takes people by surprise. Well, sometimes I don't know if I should call what I have secondary infertility because I already knew I was infertile, (laughs) but I identify with the feelings of secondary infertility. But I think in the case of people who got pregnant like that, you know, so quickly with their first and then, then have trouble, they're completely blindsided because it's like, oh, you know, you know, I took for granted how easy it was before. And that doesn't, you know, always happen again. And a lot of times it's because, you know, fertility declines as we age, obviously. So depending how long you waited or, you know, there, there can be a lot of different reasons, but but it actually accounts for about 50% of all infertility cases. I think, I think people just don't talk about it as much because they get the whole, well, you already have one, you know, you should feel grateful for what you have. And I mean, I get it all the time. People are like, you have a boy and a girl twins. You're done. Like you can be done one and done. And I just think to myself, like, I've literally been through hell and back for the past year, like trying not to be one and done. <laughs> so don't, yeah. you know, tell me when I'm done. Having kids. Like, and I, I yeah. really think it's important to emphasize that we all have this like vision of the way our families will pan out and infertility is definitely a grieving process when it comes to, it kind of takes that away from you in a way. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I have two healthy children. And I'm so grateful for that, but I always wanted three kids and that's okay. And it sucks seeing friends be able to grow their families the way they want to and not being able to do that literally, no matter how hard I try. (laughs) Yeah. It's really hard. It's really interesting how triggering it can be, even when you're really genuinely happy for people. Mm -hmm. And I guess some, for me, it's harder with like people that have like, Oh, oops, a fourth. And you're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. Oops. We were only going to have two, but now we have five. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm finding myself getting only getting triggered when it's like a third child. Mm, Oh yeah. Like, because that makes sense. That's that's specifically what I want and can't have. Yeah. So I find myself like counting people's kids. (laughs) It's so totally. awful and embarrassing to admit, but right. And I have two kids. It's just, it's just this weird psyche that, you know, I always wanted three. I also thought I was having a third twice. I was pregnant yeah. twice in the yeah. past year. And even if you're pregnant for a day or five days or however long, you know, I went a good two, three weeks where my betas were all doubling, you know, my pregnancy hormone levels. I had that wait till the ultrasound, the wait till the next ultrasound. Like I was pregnant for almost a month, I would say at the end of the day. And even though I was only six weeks when I, six and a half weeks when I miscarried, all that time that you're spent, like you're calculating your due date, you're thinking, oh, when am I going to be due? I wonder what gender it is. Like, you know, just all of the different things that you think about. Like massive emotional investment. Oh yeah. And so, and I... I'm kind of a believer in not waiting. I mean, everyone's different and it's a personal decision, but for me, I didn't really want to wait. Once I knew my betas were doubling, I was like, I don't want to wait to tell people because if I do miscarry, I want to have the support. 
Mm-hmm. But then I told every single person, <laughs> you know, all the people in my life that I was pregnant finally. And it was looking like it was going in the right, right direction. And then I actually ended up posting on Instagram when I miscarried because everyone in my life pretty much follows rescripted. And I genuinely could not bring myself to kind of individually tell everyone. Yeah. So it was actually easier in my case to just post it for a hundred thousand people to see, (laughs) but everyone's different when it comes to, I don't know. You just get really tired of sharing bad news after a while. Yeah. I think that's where I, when we were trying to get pregnant the first time, I was like, I can't like have the same horrible conversation over and over again, every time it doesn't work. So I made the circle really, really small and then kind of just stopped talking about it. Like we're to the point that some people in the, even in that small circle didn't really ask. And the people that I knew would have the most questions were like the least likely to get information. So like my mom, (laughs) I was like, I don't want to talk about this all the time. I don't want to have like, so I just like withheld information so yeah. then she was very surprised. She was like, oh, I thought you decided not to have children. I was like, no, I just didn't want to talk about it all the time. Um, <laughs> when you got pregnant, that's funny. But yeah. So when I finally told her, she's like, I've just been so worried that you had just decided Aww. you weren't going to have any kids. And I was like, I just couldn't like talk about it all the time. I couldn't like yeah. be asked or give updates or it's, oh, it's just mm-hmm. the worst. But then the second time when we tried for a second, I was super open to letting everyone know. And I think because I had had one successful pregnancy. I did have some belief that it could happen again, which going that first time, I didn't know if it could actually happen. And I also think that I couldn't bear to go through the loneliness of it again. Like it was so isolating. And so I was like, I just want to do it differently and see what Mm -hmm. happens. And also like, I'm an extrovert and I'm an external processor. And I'm like, I don't care if people know things. It's not hard for me to share things on social media and things like that, which I know is (laughs) different for others. But I actually got a decent amount of judgment for like talking about things in live time when we went through stuff the second time around. And to which I didn't really give a care. (laughs) I was like, go ahead and judge. Because of course this judgment was coming from people who couldn't relate to the story. But it was then helpful when it didn't work that it was just like, here you go, everyone. It didn't work. Like, and this is to your point, the support was incredible. Like, yeah, I was so glad that I had shared in the way that I had and shared in lifetime because getting that support in lifetime was so different than sitting at home by myself, like with mm-hmm. just my dog and my husband. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was really, really different. And hearing other people's, the people that come out with their stories when you share yours, it's just, yeah. well, that's why, that's why the power of, you know, the internet can be bad sometimes, but the power of the internet and like having community, you know, I actually found myself during my pregnancy, early pregnancy this summer and, and miscarriage. I only want to talk to the people that like, not even my friends and family, like the people online who I knew got it like my, my internet friends through, right. through rescripted and, you know, because otherwise you feel like you're explaining the science of IVF. Like people don't genuinely, yes. people genuinely don't understand like how IVF cannot work. Yeah. Because in the media you see, and that's why we're rescripted. We're trying to rescript the narrative, but in the media you see like, Oh, Hillary Swank is pregnant with twins at 48. And 
there's nothing about like how that might have happened. (laughs) Right. You know, like there's very slim chance that she, you know, and super happy for her. That's amazing. But like, I think it's important to break that down a little and say, if you're over 40 years old, you, it's, definitely harder to get pregnant like at Rescriptive we think it like really starts with like sex ed and like the fact that I didn't even know that I was ovulating and couldn't get pregnant at almost 30 years old with the college education <laughs> you know and like, I love that, that uh, example by the way I love that you have that example because I think that is so such a glaring and like piece of information that I'm sure there's so many people listening that are like oh yeah like who's gonna tell you that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We're taught pregnancy prevention. Right. And we're taught, you know, you'll have sex, you'll get pregnant. Or we see the movie portrayals of like, oops, I, you know, I had morning sickness. So I knew I was pregnant. You know, it's just this completely inaccurate. And I think more and more the mainstream media is covering, you know, National Infertility Awareness Week and all that stuff. But I think a lot more work needs to be done to destigmatize it and, show that it's not so easy. I also think, and I'm curious, cause I'm sure, you know, more of the data behind this than I do. So I was under the false assumption when we decided to do IVF, that IVF allowed you to like bypass a whole bunch of things that made you statistically more likely to get pregnant than just have getting pregnant via traditional sex. And I remember going into our first, so we had gone through like four or five rounds of ICI inner cervical insemination. And then I think it was four rounds or five rounds of IUI inner uterine insemination to get pregnant the first time. So when my doctor was like, and we, I, I also was like, I think we should just go straight to IVF if we're going to do a second, try a second time. And she was like, yes, I totally agree. And in my mind, I was like, we're going to bypass all these things that have like low success rate. And we're going to go right to the high, the thing that has high success rate, the thing where like you bypass the fact that like, when you have sex to get pregnant, well-timed sex, you still only have like a 30% chance of getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the number I could be a little off. So I'm like, well, if we just do IVF, then like, that's going to go up to like 95%, right? That's not, it's not like you just skip all the hard stuff to get to like a 99% chance of it working. You go mm-hmm. into IVF and it's like, it's like still a 30% chance it might work and you're going to pay like $30,000 for it, but let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been on my mind actually, because one of a fertility doctor that I follow and love, he posted a hilarious, but really kind of sad reality of a video today, which was, you know, these politicians saying that like conception or life begins at fertilization. And he's like, if life began at fertilization, my job would be really easy because every egg that was retrieved would be a baby. Mm-hmm. Or every egg that was fertilized would be a baby. Right, right. But then he explained like the actual funnel that happens. And I think a lot of people don't know this. Like when you say you get 20 eggs, not all of those are going to get fertilized. And then even the, of the ones that do get fertilized, only X amount make it to blastocyst, which is an actual embryo. And then if you do genetic testing, that's an even larger drop off to see if they're genetically abnormal. And then it has to, your transfer has to actually work. So like, there's all of these points of like checkpoints, I guess you could say where at the end of the day, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but he said, I think he said of the blastocyst of the, of the embryos 
that are available for transfer, you have like a 50 to 55% live birth rate. So, and that's of the embryos that make it versus the number of eggs you actually retrieved. So right. that's my not so scientific explanation, but it's a huge, like the funnel down, like your chances yeah. get smaller and smaller and that funnel gets like skinnier and skinnier. Like there's a, and we went through that when we went in to do IVF, the doctor was like, we want to do three rounds of retrievals in order to get you enough eggs to try to get enough viable embryos for you to like get one that actually results in a birth. And so that would have been going through three rounds of retrievals, which would have meant three separate cycles Mm -hmm. of massive drugs and like pumping my ovaries and getting them like all primed up and then going in for the surgical procedure to have the eggs taken out. And every time is very expensive. And also you do not feel like yourself when you're taking all these drugs. And so going through that three times to just get like a little bundle of eggs that then would be, I mean, like you're still before the start line, (laughs) you still have And then, so when she's telling me all this and I was like, oh, hell no, I'm like, well, I will do one round of retrieval. She's like, your chances are going to be really slim. And I was like, fine. Like, and I think this is where, when it's secondary infertility to your point about like the first time I was like, whatever it takes. Second time I was like, I have some boundaries. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, so and it was really, it felt really different. Yeah. So what sort of made you like decide to move on from it? So I went in when we decided I was really clear, I think because we had just, it had ta- everything had taken so long the first time I was very clear when I say the first time, I mean, getting pregnant with my son, I was really clear the second time that I had like limited energetic resources <laughs> because I was like, I can't do three years of this. Like, I just know how incredibly consuming it is. And mm-hmm. it's so painful. And so like, emotionally painful and sometimes physically. So I was really clear on that, that I knew that I needed to have like a line in the sand. And so when she said like three rounds, I was like, Oh my God, like that just felt like so much to me. And in hindsight, I'm like, I could have totally done three rounds, but when you're facing it, I was like, I can't imagine doing it three times. So I think I knew that there would have to be a line. I also know that, and this is like a whole nother podcast episode, the biz, <laughs> the big business of infertility, like there's no limits to what the industry will take from desperate moms or de- desperate parents. And so I was like, I know that I am going to be over that. I'm going to be sold on like, you should do this and you should keep going. And, you, and it's this much. And then we'll like give you a package deal if you pre-buy. And, like, and I was like, I can't, there's limitations to like what are, our family. And we're also considering like, we have a kid already. We have to put this kid through school at some point. Like I'm not, this is not going to be a million dollar endeavor, but you know, that clinic would be more than happy to take a million dollars. So I was just more clear on like what we were willing to invest. Yeah. Yeah. But then it didn't make it. I was, I expected to be like, this is my boundary and I'm going to be okay. And either way. And I was not okay. Like I was a devastating experience and I didn't see that part coming because I thought I already have one. So I can, I'll be okay either way. Cause I already have this one in your case too, like I have this miracle, this thing I worked so hard for. I'm so lucky already that Mm -hmm. I can be okay either way. And it was incredibly challenging. It's surprising when, you know, you can't again, grow your family in the way that you want to. And it's, but it's surprising that it's almost equally as devastating. That shocked me too. Um, And I don't think people understand that or have, I think only certain people can hold empathy for that. 
And yeah. so that piece has been like, that's something I don't talk about on an ongoing basis with just any girlfriend or family mm-hmm. member that like, it's still something I think about all the time. Like, well, I appreciate like- you sharing. And I ask because, you know, I'm in this space of, do I walk away or do I try one more time? And yeah. right now I'm trying to feel I'm trying to just embrace the unknown of I haven't made that decision yet. And I don't have to make that decision right this second, working on it a lot in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Therapy thing for that. (laughs) But it does, you know, there's a point where it becomes not about you anymore. You know, as I'm sitting in the hospital after my DNC, I'm like, this isn't about me wanting a third. It's like about my kids having the best mom that they can, you yeah. know, that me being my best self. And I just know at this moment, that means me not being a treatment. If that changes in six months, great. If it means I'm done forever, fine. If it, you know, if I end up getting pregnant in three years, like naturally by surprise, like I will faint and freak <laughs> out. <laughs> but, you know, it's like kind of having to, embrace the lack of control because it's just not in my hands right now. And I'm just trying to go with my intuition, which is focus on my kids, focus on building this business to help others. And then hopefully I'll wake up one day and know, I wish I had like a more concrete answer for myself. Mm -hmm. Like this is my boundary and I'm done, or this is, or I want to try one more time, but right now I don't. And I guess that's okay. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. We'll say there's two things that have been really helpful to me. I feel like I'm stealing the spotlight of this whole interview. No, not at all. <laughs> but this might be helpful to you because I I understand the situation that you're in. One thing was deciding to live a life with our one child that we couldn't live if we had had, if that second had come to fruition. And so like when he was five, we went to, we took him to Paris and we went to the Eiffel Tower and all these different things that like, if that IVF cycle had worked, we would have had like a one-year-old and we would have never been able to do, or it would not have been fun or feasible to do. I love that perspective. Yeah. Doing so those things and like learn, like being a family that skis, like I learned to ski when he learned to ski and that wouldn't have happened if we had had a two-year-old at the time. That's Oh, I just got chills because that is actually my goal for this winter. I just rented my kids skis and I've barely ever skied in my life. And so, but my husband's a avid skier. And so I really want to do that. And I think about that too. I'm like, there's, you know, traveling is getting easier now that they're four. And there's a lot of, you know, things that make me who I am outside of being a mom Yeah, that I'm trying to rediscover because IVF was all consuming me for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that piece is like giving yourself permission and then to be in that experience of this is the thing I'm just like, when you are in the ski lesson and recognizing like, this is what I'm choosing instead. And that doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't painful, but there is a feeling of power and, um, like giving yourself, like choosing a different sense of identity in this moment and in mm-hmm. this season, which I think can is, I think can be really healthy and helpful. The other thing that has been a helpful shift for me because I love my work and I, it sounds like you do too, is expanding my vision of what I see as mothering. So if I only get to mother one child, how do I get to mother in other ways? And so sometimes it's being a really creepy neighbor to our friends who have a three-year-old next door and like, (laughs) oh my gosh, like send him over. Can he come play? And they're like, they're always like, they're so sweet. They're like, if you really want them to, I'm like, no, I really do. That's <laughs> so, so funny. Mothering in different ways in the community. And like, I'm co-chairing my son's PTA this year and the work that I do online with moms. Like I do all these things that, cause I have this capacity to do it and it feels really good. And I see that so much in your work that not to say that one substitutes for the other, but that you will get to mother in a different way and on a grander scale um, in Mm -hmm. terms of like impact in the world by doing the work that you're doing that you wouldn't be able to maybe do to the same extent if you had, you know, another little one undertow in this moment. Doesn't mean it's a fair trade or an easy trade, but sometimes like that piece for me, because I love my work so much. I'm like, great. Like I can go and do a speaking engagement in London and it's okay because yeah. My husband can manage one child for a week and it all works out. So yeah. And I thank you for that. I think that's super helpful, but, and also just underlining the point that, you know, it still can hurt sometimes. Like it's still gonna 100%. It's still gonna sting when you, with, when the wrong person gets pregnant, <laughs> yes. but, but you know, healing's not linear with anything. And yeah, 
a lot of times it makes you a more empathetic person and a more empathetic leader. I'm definitely way more able to like sit in other people's grief yeah. with them. Like if anyone I know is going through a hard time, I'm like, they don't want me to say pleasantries. Like they don't want me to, <laughs> yeah. well, at least you have two other healthy babies. Like right. they want me to just be like, that really sucks. And I'm sorry. And I'm here for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of what do we say to moms who are grieving and the difference between like grieving secondary infertility versus maybe someone who's just had a miscarriage or there's all these different layers. And I think that this is where friends and family get really tripped up. Like they don't want to say the wrong thing. So then they don't say anything, or we can just feel really sensitive on a certain day. So no matter what someone says, we're going to be offended. Do you have any thoughts around that? I think a couple of things like you don't have to do this alone. It's really, really difficult. And people in your life are not always going to understand you know, whether it's a rescripted community or, you know, going to a therapist, I'm actually going to a therapist now that specializes in infertility and pregnancy loss, which has been super helpful because she, I'm not explaining the science to her. She knows the complicated, you know, emotions that come with this. So that's, you know, invaluable right now and sort of embrace like the healing process, like, sitting in your feelings is okay. My therapist said to me, like, I'm a busybody. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, you know, always wanting to think of my next thing and, you know, to accomplish or do. And she's like, it's okay that she's like, IVF was your thing for the past year. Like you don't have to fill that with another thing. And, you know, I think as moms, we, like our worth is sometimes tied to our productivity and I know Mm -hmm. mine is sometimes, and that's, it's fine to be, you know, a high achiever and want to do all of the things and be super mom. But, you know, sometimes you can also let things go. Like for me, I'm probably not going to be the PTA mom and like, or at least not yet. And like, that's okay. And kind of just wait. I know I'm only in pre-K, but yeah, but like right now, I didn't now, see it coming either. <laughs> I know right now I don't have the, I'm trying to just, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's, you don't have to be a Pinterest mom. Like if you don't have capacity for things, you know, you just all like your kids just need to be loved. Like that's all that they need right? right. <laughs> and to nurture yourself and just focus on, And it's okay to not have a next step sometimes. (laughs) Oh, yes. To all of that. It's so interesting. And I think that people can relate to this in a variety of ways, whether or not they've gone through infertility. When you go through the process of buying a house or you go through the process, like we just went through the process of buying, or we're in the middle of the process of buying a new car, which has been a multi-month process with now a car is being shipped and we don't know if we're buying it or not. But when you go through anything like that, or if it's something as emotionally charged as infertility, the, it's super, super time consuming. It's tons of decisions that impact you emotionally, financially, like all this stuff. And when you go through that, it's like another part-time job, whether or not there's an emotional investment. And then when that's over, you're like, Oh, okay. So like, what's the next thing. And I think that in life, we have this series of like next things that naturally unfold. And I remember, I remember right after my husband and I got married being like, okay, now that the wedding's over, like things are going to slow down a bit because my gosh, like this has been 
crazy just getting up to this wedding and then being like a few months out from the wedding and recognizing it has not slowed down at all. Like, does it just not slow down? And it really doesn't slow down if you're the type of person that constantly fills the space, which as it turns out, I am. Yeah, same. <laughs> so, so having to recognize like, okay, I'm going to conscientiously not fill the space. I'm going to sit and do puzzles on a Saturday, like, and listen to podcasts while my son's doing Legos next to me and not go like overproduce and overcreate and overprove myself to the world, yeah. which is really, really hard. So yeah, it's a lot to like rework if this, if you've always been in the space of, I need to move on to the next thing and accomplish and check boxes. Yeah. Tell us about the future of Rescripted. Yeah. So where do I even begin? Rescripted is just going to keep putting out really high quality expert content um, when it comes to fertility and fertility and pregnancy loss, but we're even going to, and we're going to continue with our support offerings and our, you know, medication resources and our marketplace offerings. But I think as we grow, we're going to move into earlier stage. Like we want to support anyone that is even thinking about having kids in the future, because we really believe, like I said earlier, that it starts with sex ed. Sex ed in the U.S. is broken. And, mm-hmm. you know, from basically from periods to menopause, women are not as supported as they should be. They're not as educated as they should be. Um, there's not, you know, as many resources available to them that actually speak to them on their level. It's not like a Healthline article, which love Healthline, but it's very medical. It's very, you know, we want to be that resource that, is like, if, are you having a regular period? It's like, here's what that could mean. And here's how you can, here are the tools that you need to go talk to your doctor and advocate for yourself. And then layering on that support on top of it. So everything from, you know, sexual health and wellness to, you know, donor egg IVF, it's really kind of the whole spectrum. We want to support all of those women who are either thinking about growing their, you know, freezing their eggs or, or in the thick of a surrogacy journey. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. I see so much room for all of that. I love it so much. Can you tell people how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? As a shameless mom. I touched on this a little bit, but I really working out is my, is my me time. And, you know, sometimes it makes me feel guilty because it's like, you know, I prioritize that every day, but I heard this on a podcast earlier, actually. And it's like, if mom's not happy, no one's happy. (laughs) Like, you know, and you know, you have to take care of yourself and you can't pour from an empty cup. So sometimes I'm like, I have so much to do today. Why? I'm running my own business. I have two toddlers. Why am I working out on top of this or doing this on top of that? But it's like, if it fills my cup, that will overflow to everyone else, <laughs> to everyone else. Totally. So Absolutely. Um, I think that would be my, would be my answer. I love mm-hmm. it. Oh my goodness. So much goodness in here, Kristen. I want to thank you for the way you've shared your story really openly and with so much transparency. And I'm wishing you so much luck and love in whatever you decide, whatever comes next. If you ever have updates you want to share, if not, if, no matter how rescripted grows, I was going to say if it grows, I know it's going to grow, but no matter how it grows, if there's anything that you'd ever want to come back on the show and talk about, please let me know um, anything related to rescripted or your own personal story. 
tell people where they can find you, connect with you, get all things rescripted. Yeah, absolutely. So we're rescripted.com um, on the interwebs and um, fertility.rescripted on Instagram, TikTok, I think Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I will link to everything in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Kristen Hodgden, and we will have all the links that you just mentioned linked right up for folks with Instagram, TikTok, and then obviously right to rescripted.com. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here, Kristen. And uh, I'm excited to have another conversation with you down the road. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayeni, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.